one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at bluenile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Welcome back to another episode of the How I Quit Alcohol podcast. For first-time listeners, please be aware that not all of the conversations within this podcast are suitable for children. I'd also like to add a trigger warning that sometimes the conversations can get a little heavy. We may talk about things like sexual abuse, domestic violence, drug use and alcohol use. And if you feel that that may trigger you, please do not tune in. Also, I'd like to add, if you are a heavy daily drinker, please seek the help of a medical practitioner before quitting alcohol. This podcast comes to you from beautiful Bunjalung country. Please kick back and enjoy. Grab yourself your favorite alcohol-free bevy. And if you haven't already, do a gal a favor. Please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. This podcast is proudly brought to you by Monday Distillery, who makes sophisticated elk-free drinks that still have all the taste of a good time. G&T without the tears, whiskey without the wobbles, and other delicious cocktails too. Switching the ritual instead of ditching the ritual is so much easier. Stay in high spirits, keep a clear mind, head to mondaydistillery.com for more. Are you sick of feeling controlled by alcohol? Do you want to drink less? Do you wake up on a Sunday morning feeling really anxious and full of regret? I'm Danny Carr and welcome to my podcast, How I Quit Alcohol. Hi and welcome back to How I Quit Alcohol. Today in the Zoom room, I'm joined by a beautiful lady that I randomly met at the Om Cafe in Corumban at the Corumban Rock Pools. Her name's Trish Shaw and Ash... And the girls and I were sitting having some dal, as you do, in this sort of little temple thing at the back of this cafe. And this beautiful couple came up and I'm like, oh, you know, we started talking and chatting. And Trish said, I know you. Do you have a podcast? <laughs> yeah. I was like, yes. And then we started talking and, and Trish shared some of her story with me. And I was like, of course, you got to come on the podcast. <laughs> so here we are. Thank you, Trish. And thank you for coming on. How are you today? Yeah, I'm really well, thank you. I'm very excited, a little bit nervous, but so happy to be here and share my story. Yeah, thank you. How, how awesome just how we met that day. I love it when things like that happen. And I always think that there's no accidents. There's always a reason for something. What, what's your take on that? Oh, my gosh, it was really crazy the way that we met because just before that I was with my friend and we were talking about whether there is a God or whether everything is just unorganized chaos. <laughs> and then we walked over to Auburn Cafe and then the sequence of events of how we met you all kind of just flowed into each other. And about six months prior to meeting you, I was meeting with my therapist. I was saying, oh, I feel goalless. And he said to me, just write some big goals on a piece of paper. And one of them was to be on a podcast to talk about how I quit alcohol. And then <laughs> it all happened. And I kind of wrote it down. I forgot about it. And then, yeah, I met you in that really profound way. So 
it was oh, quite an experience that. for me it was really I good. love that stuff I love that stuff so much I do a lot of manifestation and writing down things that I want to man- manifest and I love to read back and see how much of that actually came about and it so spins me out I'm like oh my god like all those things happened I know, and I think it's it happens when you're in alignment when you're on the right path things just flow for you I was talking to another friend about this this morning actually that I don't know it seems to happen a lot too when people quit alcohol I think because I don't know whether it's that you're doing the work on yourself or that you're just more open to things I don't know but things just seem to fall into place I think all of the things that you said but also having clearer energy so my you know having a healthier body not putting toxins into my body and just being clearer Because when I quit alcohol, I started seeing a kinesiologist before when I was drinking and she would always say, it's so hard for me to work on you because you're so stuck. And then within a few months, she was working with me and she was like, your energy is so clear. You're just moving through things really quickly. And it was purely just from obviously putting down alcohol and other substances as well. So I really feel like yeah, when you're working on yourself, your energy is clear and you're a bit healthier. You can kind of tap into that source a little bit more. It's like you're putting out a different vibration and a different frequency. I was yeah. saying that to my friend this morning. She did give me that kind of eye roll or that eye, that look of you've been living in the Byron Shire for too long. <laughs> yeah. I feel so, that sometimes too. <laughs> absolutely. So firstly, how long have you been sober for now? Just over four years. So my sobriety date is the 17th of November, 2018. Yeah, Incredible. Amazing. Thank you. And you're living at, on the Gold Coast at Burley. You certainly don't sound like you're from Burley. No. (laughs) So can you tell us a bit about your history, where you're from and how you started drinking alcohol? So I am from Cape Town, South Africa, and I left South Africa when I was 19, lived in London for seven years and then moved to Australia 10 almost 11 years ago and yeah I guess I started drinking at a very young age I think I've kind of blocked it out but I think I was about 12 the first drink that I had it was a bottle of whiskey with my friends and it was quite interesting because I didn't necessarily get very drunk that day but what I felt was a huge relief from drinking just like I could sigh and I could and I felt okay in that moment And it kind of snowballed from there, really. I went to boarding school at the age of 12 or 13. And I guess where it came from is I was deeply, deeply shy and insecure. I would blush heavily a lot in the past. And I don't know, every time I drank, it was like I felt like I could take a breath and I could relax and I felt a part of the community and I didn't feel this deep, deep awkwardness and like this feeling of less than. And it really started to snowball from there. So at the age of 14, I went to my first hard house club in Cape Town and I started taking class A's. 14? At the age of 14, yes. So that continued for many, many years. And, you know, it was great fun to begin with. But the reason why I liked it so much, like I said before, is I've just felt this like relaxation within my body when I took the first sip of alcohol and when I did that all bets were off it was like I could do whatever I wanted to do be whoever I wanted to be and speak the way that I always wanted to speak I mean there's so much within that that I can share but I also started blacking out at a very young age as well I think most of my drinking career has been in blackouts and then I would take MDMA and then I started doing cocaine and Cocaine was great because I could drink as much as I wanted and I wouldn't black out. So that was the life I was living. Still at 14 or is that happening at 14? Yeah. Wow. I started taking ecstasy at 14. So it would be, you know, having drinks before going to the club. Because I was in boarding school, I was... I would lie to my mom and saying I was going to my friend's house. She would say I was going to her house and we would go away to Cape Town City, the two of us, in our school uniform, catching trains from Stellenbosch into Cape Town. And it's dangerous. It's really dangerous. And we were these two girls, really young, you know, going to clubs and bars and staying out all night and taking lots of drugs. And I mean, the first time I took my first pill, I thought I was going to die. But at the same time, I felt this like deep euphoria. And we actually ended up sitting in the toilets for the whole night 
having lollipops. Like me and my friends. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and they had a couch in this club and we just sat there having lollipops, talking, talking, talking. It was the best thing I've ever experienced. Well, you know, traditionally MDMA was created for being able to release trauma. That's why it works so well as a therapeutic yes. drug. <laughs> but obviously it's we're not using it in that way when we're partying. But in some instances it does feel really good, especially initially to like, wow, I feel so much love and I love myself and I love the people around me and I'm able to just speak so freely. I remember feeling the same way when I first had it. And I think yeah. you've hit the nail on the head, you know, like I grew up in quite a traumatic family environment. So my dad was a heavy alcoholic when I was a young child. I didn't actually grow up with my dad. So my mom was single and, you know, just that whole lifestyle of divorced parents, but it wasn't just a split family. There was a lot of anger and kind of violence within that as well. So yeah, I mean, taking those substances, I felt this deep connection because I've just been so disconnected from myself for such a long time. It would have just been like, oh. Yeah, it was a total relief. And that's the best way to explain it. It is just like the, I can take a breath. Like I felt like when I was sober, I was just holding on and I was wrapped in sellotape, just keeping myself together as much as I could. This deep insecurity of how I looked, who I was, and then I could just be myself. It's so sad, isn't it? When you think about a 14 year old that's so young, like finally you had different ways of being able to find that sigh of relief that wasn't through drugs and alcohol, you know, or someone to share perhaps what you were feeling or going through must've been really intense for little you to go through that. It was really intense. And look, my mom read my diary when I was probably about 15 or 16 and saw that I was taking drugs and drinking and she grounded me for about a term of school, but it didn't really make any difference. I just found other ways of taking drugs that would leave my system. I even went into meth for a about a three-month period, so I was doing ice, and that's a terrible experience, and I don't wish that on mm. anybody. But luckily, mm. I got out of it really quickly, and it didn't grip itself on me. But yeah. the alcohol continued on for until the age of 32 when I quit. I'm sure mum did the best she could with what she had, but what did you need at 14 or 15? How would it have changed things for you, perhaps, if rather than being grounded you had been held or asked, okay, what's going on for you? What are you feeling? Like, why are you feeling that you need to escape, have this relief? How can we give it to you in another way? Do you think that would have made things different for you? Look, I don't know. I, I don't think I know what I needed. I don't think I knew what I needed at that age. All I knew is that I felt the way that I felt. And when I drank, I didn't feel that way. And I'm the youngest of three and my brother and sister have their journeys as well. And I think at that point, my mom was, again, she did the absolute best that she could. And we have such a great relationship now. But I just think at that time as well, and also maybe my parents' generation, it's like, I don't know if they went to that depth at that stage. And I think even if she asked me the question, I don't even know how I would have responded. So I, I, would, I would have lost my wig. It's only, I guess, through the work with Gabor Mate and, and he opens these conversations of how we can relate to our children more, understanding that when they're acting out, they're crying out for help and asking what they need rather than punishing them. I would never have known that before reading mm -hmm. that. So I guess the more education there is around that kind of way of being with our kids, that hopefully that will change things for them, which we didn't have, which our poor parents didn't have either. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And I, and I feel really grateful that if I do have the opportunity to have children, I can then break the cycle of that family ancestral trauma that's been handed down. And again, it's mm. all come to a head in sobriety or, or being sober is that my parents did the best that they could, because I guess I blamed them for a long time as to why I drank. I feel sorry for people that used to do cocaine with me because I would like go deep into my family trauma and it would be the same story over and over again. And I was just trying to work it out, like trying to figure out what's happened, why am I like this? And I used those substances to connect but just could never put the dots together. It's so funny, isn't it? You're saying like you were there and you're talking about it and it was just you trying to put it all together. And it's probably why we go on that kind of ranting, repeating cycle sometimes with things. Mm -hmm. I think what gives us that great healing and compassion is I guess the work through like we discussed out at the Om Cafe is through family constellations work and those kind of modalities. 
also just understanding our parents' trauma as well because I went through a phase as well where I was like, your mama's got an addiction problem and I was angry about that for quite a while. But now looking at through the lens of trauma and understanding that she did the best she could and it's a coping mechanism for her and she's soothing herself the best best way she knows how and probably always has done. And once we understand a bit of their trauma, it helps us to heal and understand and soften the hell up a bit, right? Totally. It's been quite a great experience for my dad and I, actually. He had quite a traumatic background and he just held me in the first couple of months of being sober. He lives in Malaysia and I went to go see him and he held me. Like he just was there for me in the most compassionate way. And my dad's like this big six foot five man. And I'd never seen that side of him. And it was just such a beautiful experience. So our relationship only really started when I quit. And I could, to your point is I could see what he was dealing with, what my mom was dealing with, what my stepdad was dealing with, what my stepmother was dealing with and how, and how ultimately everything has brought me to this moment, to who I am right now and sharing my story. And I used to feel a lot of guilt and shame and sadness. And just, but now I just realized that everything's happened perfectly for me to be here where I am right now. And I don't wish for any of that to change. Yeah, absolutely. Isn't it so great when you can get to that point of just like, there's no shame, fuck the shame, fuck all that. It was all meant to happen. And I learned so much from it. And I can also share my experience or you're sharing your experience now as well. And someone is going to hear this message and they're going to go, wow, there'll be something in it that will affect probably more than just one person, but it's all worth it then as well. It really is. And even if I could be of service to one person and it helps them to seek help or it helps them mm. to see that what I'm really passionate about now being sober is to show people that there's an amazing, there's like a fucking incredible life in mm. sobriety. Because when I was drinking, I actually didn't think what sober people did. I didn't think that they existed. I was just yeah. like in my They're boring. Yeah. <laughs> And yeah, I thought it was super boring as well. I was like, what? You don't drink? You know that saying, oh, don't trust people that don't drink. Like I was one of those. My whole life was just like wine and cocaine. And that was the life I lived. I couldn't see anything outside of that. Mm, I know. I totally hear you because we're totally the same. So I've sort of got a picture of those sort of early teen years. Tell me where it got to the point or how did it escalate to the point where you're starting to realize, okay, I need to make some changes here. Um, So I got together with a long-term partner when I was about 22 or 23 living in London. And how old are you now, Trish? Sorry. I'm 36. So yes, we got together and my London lifestyle was just every weekend hardcore binging and the reality for me is that I have some family members that are sober and I kind of would question what my my lifestyle a little bit but then it would be like a brief question and then I'll just continue because it was so much fun and I was having a great time and some of the time I was having a great time and it was all really fun but a lot of the time it was very lonely and sad I got my first corporate job living in the UK and it was really interesting. I used to go drinking. It was in in recruitment. So that's my corporate career in recruitment. And that's very heavy drinking. But I clearly remember this one night I went out with my team and one of my managers said to me, wow, you're so shy when you don't drink. And then when you drink, you like this other person. And that was like a big real, I was pretty shocked when I heard that. So it escalated. And then I decided I got my British passport when living in the UK and I wanted to move to Australia because my sister lives here. And anyway, so my partner at the time and I, we moved here. It was great. We we started off in Brisbane and we didn't have any friends. So although I was still drinking very heavily, we stopped, stopped all the drugs and it was kind of like a relief, like, wow, we can actually just take a break, but still, you know, cracking wine, like crazy. Moved to Sydney eventually because that's where I got my recruitment job and I was working in agency recruitment and it again, just snowballed from there. It was like, take your clients for drinks, drinking on a Tuesday. 
I was so stressed and anxious in that job as well that it was just this medication and relief. But what started happening and why I quit is I was with my ex for 10 years and we got engaged. At the time, I was cheating on him in that lifestyle I was living. So it would, it almost became like the alcohol and drugs stopped working and I just needed to have that danger in my life. And yeah, I was living two, two lifestyles. Like I was one person with certain people and another with another group of people. And I was lying a lot as well. My partner, it's quite a funny story. So we we went to a barbecue, a braai, as we say in South Africa, and everyone was ordering bags and we decided, no, no, we're not going to order any tonight. You know, we're going to go home. We're engaged now. We're going to stop all of this. And the irony of it all is if we did get cocaine, my life wouldn't have changed. But uh, I'll tell the story first and then kind of say that again. But yeah, we went home, went to bed. Um, he would he woke up really early in the morning and opened the laptop and all of my text messages from my phone had been downloaded. So he oh no, he saw everything. He walked mm-hmm. into the room and threw the laptop at me and he was abs- he was just shaking. And I woke up. It was such an intense experience because although it was like, okay, my whole life is completely fucked now, I've ruined everything. But there was this relief that I didn't have to lie anymore and that it was all out in the open. Mm -hmm. I still get really emotional about it because although it was so hard and like I deeply regret what I did, but I'm just so grateful that it all came out because I just think if I, if it didn't, that what I wanted to say is that the night before, if we got those bags, I wouldn't have fallen asleep and I would have opened the laptop and I would have seen all the messages and I would have deleted them all and continued because I didn't know how to stop. I didn't know, like I would always have these, when I turn 30, I'll stop drinking. When I, um, when we get engaged, I'll stop drinking. I'll stop doing other things that I was doing. You know, it was always like this future milestone that I had to get to, and then I would make a change. But a few years before that, I did actually share with my partner and maybe a couple of close friends that I thought I had a drinking problem. And they were all kind of like, no, no, you're fine. I mean, you do get pretty wild, but I don't necessarily think you have a problem. Maybe you should just have one or two glasses of wine instead. But I just couldn't do that. Like I just, mm. I stopped drinking white wine for many years because I would get fucking crazy, but I loved it. That's what I was seeking. I started drinking vodka. I'd drink a whole bottle of vodka and then go back onto the white wines as quickly as I could. So mm-hmm. I was trying so hard to manage my drinking and, mm-hmm. you know, like, oh, vodka with soda. Oh, it's so healthy, blah, blah, blah. But I was just trying to find a solution, but wanted to drink, but I couldn't stop. So, mm-hmm. and I wasn't drinking every day. I was very much a binge drinker. And again, it was like, I couldn't have two glasses of wine. It was like, if I've got a bottle of wine, I'm going to drink the whole bottle of wine. Like that's a starting point. I'm definitely not one of those people that can have a nice glass of wine with their meal. It's like, no, that's just, I don't see the point in it. Yeah. I think when you're drinking for relief too, it's it's never really about the wine or whatever. It's more about just getting shit faced and yeah. having that escape and that distraction. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I so remember those feelings too of, okay, definitely can't drink white wine. I'll switch to vodka. I remember doing the exact same thing. And then you'd end up shit fat. Even though I'd try and pour small amounts or you try so hard and then I'll have a certain amount of vodkas and then I'll have low alcohol beers. And I remember having the same conversations with certain people too. I would say, this has got to stop. Like I've, I'm really out of control. I need to stop drinking. And friends would say, you're fine. Just try and have one or two drinks instead. The same, like, yeah, you've been out there, just chill out, just have a couple of drinks. And it was just so hard. And then also once people just would say that kind of thing to me, I'm like, oh my God, they all think I'm out of control. Now I've really got to try hard, but it just didn't, it was exhausting. It just didn't work half the time. Hard. It never, it never worked. I mean, maybe mm. once or twice. Yeah. Maybe five times in 18 years, I would have like a calm night. But Mm. it got to the point where if I didn't have a blackout, I kind of thought, well, I obviously didn't have a good night. How did the blackouts feel for you? Because I know, you know, I talk about a lot on the podcast of waking up with that just, that regret, the anxiety. Was it like that for you or were you kind Uh, of? 
Yeah. I mean, right. it was the guilt and the shame every morning waking up. And what I actually started doing towards the end is I would touch my eyelashes and I knew that if I had mascara on, I probably did something really bad the night before because if I was that fucked and I couldn't take my makeup off, then I knew that it was like probably a bad night. But if I had <laughs> in a blackout, if I was able to wash my face and put pajamas on, then it probably wasn't that bad. Yes. Oh God, yeah. sorry, but things so, like that. All right, I've got my pajamas on and I've washed my face. So it couldn't have been that bad. I've brushed my teeth. Let's see the toothbrushes yeah. out. Exactly. I was kind of responsible. So, you know, I must have been okay. But then, you know, I'd go into work and like I was working in recruitment with English people and Irish people. And often they would say like, oh, I've never seen anyone as drunk as you were. And I wouldn't remember. And it was devastating. I would walk into the office with my head hung down, feeling just a blanket of shame over me. And Oh, I don't even know how I survived, to be honest, because that amount of anxiety that I would feel was crippling. Like if I feel that anxiety now, I don't think I've, no, I have actually reached that level in sobriety, but it was just devastating because I was acting in a way that went completely against who I was, completely against who I am as a person. I never wanted to be that way and I couldn't Mm. stop it. Oh, I feel you. That's what happens. Like we, when we end up wasted, we're not living in alignment with our values and our values go out the window. And then we wake up the next day and we feel so fucked from it because who the hell was that person doing that last night? So tell me the mascara is still on. So you, (laughs) what was bad? What, tell me some bad behavior. My bad behavior was, I would just be really inappropriate, especially I would, I guess I would, um, you know, I had no boundaries at all. It was like, I wish I could tell you what I would do in blackout, but I wouldn't really remember. But when I was younger, I would get into cars with a group of men and I would go to deserted houses and do drugs with them. And all of my friends didn't know where I was. This was in South Africa. And I would go and smoke meth with a group of men in an abandoned house in Cape Town. And then they would just drop me off at the club and my friends would be like, where the fuck have you been? It's been like three hours. And I'm like, oh, but I'm fine. And I would do things like that. Like I would just end up in places I shouldn't be flirting with people that I shouldn't be flirting with, spending money, stealing from our joint bank accounts so that I could buy cocaine, lying to my partner about where I was, like he thought that I had this really hardcore recruitment career of doing all these things at night, but actually all I was doing was going out with my friends and just getting shit-faced. And yeah, it was just, the the scary thing about it is that like I would be one place and then I would wake up and I would be in another place and I would wonder how I got here. Yeah, I remember going to a party in London and I was clearly in blackout and I woke up with all of this makeup on my face with like blue eyeshadow and everything. And I was like, how did this happen? And everyone was like, what do you mean? You asked us to put this makeup on you. And and it was just so like, what? I just don't understand how this happens. And I mean, there are just so many stories that I could share about going missing for days and just being like... (laughs) starting off at a party and then like three days later I'd come home or taking five pills at a club just because the first pill wouldn't work so then I took all these other pills and then just be really in a bad state for like 12 to 24 hours but the most most of the time especially when I was working it was just being so inappropriate with my work colleagues and like Mm. just putting myself down or just being in behaving in a way that again just wasn't true to who I was or just saying things that were ridiculous or I don't know like people were laughing at me rather than laughing with me and that's the sad thing is that I was always the joke and that's how I perceived it whether I was Mm. or I wasn't I can't Uh, believe this is the same um, we're talking about the same lady that I met at the Om cafe (laughs) I know (laughs) so grounded and so like I don't know. Yeah, so different. It's amazing how different we become when we kind of take this thing out. Where was your self-worth? Because all the stories you're telling me, I'm thinking, wow, this person didn't love themselves very much. Does that Uh, resonate? 
Look, my self-worth, and it's still very much a work in progress, I had zero self-worth. I I don't even think I understood the concept of self-worth. I didn't understand the concept of boundaries. I didn't understand how to treat people in relationship. I didn't understand any of that. It was kind of like from the age of 14, when I took that ecstasy pill, it was like, that's where my emotional intelligence stayed. I didn't really mature beyond that. And it's such a crazy ride though, because I have a successful career. Like I've traveled, I've lived overseas, I've done all this stuff. It was almost like I was doing all of these adult things, but I was this child inside. And I guess what happened when I got sober is I had to start working on all of that. And I had to start taking responsibility for my life. It was fucking Mm. hard to see that I can't blame my parents anymore. I can't blame alcohol. I can't blame alcohol. I can't blame drugs because there is a reason why I behaved the way that I did. And it all comes back to fear and it comes back to unresolved trauma and never learning how to self-soothe myself, never learning how to, I have a big emotion. What do I do now? Whether it's positive or negative. And it was, okay, well, let's drink. (laughs) That's what we've got to learn. I've got a big emotion. What do I do now? Yeah. And that changes things for people when they can be with their big emotions that show up, even the little ones, the little discomforts that show up because some people have a little discomfort and they're out of there because they were just never taught. We were never taught. And now there's obviously there's more talk around this stuff. People are more trauma-informed. We're starting to understand now talking about, you know, somatic experiencing, feeling into the body And we're able to now start to go, okay, we can have these conversations around being able to sit with our discomfort and be with the big emotions or what are they trying to teach us? I say it all the time. I probably sound like a broken record, but they are such beautiful teachers, Mm. the emotions that that show up. I had Dr. Luke Snooski, who was on my podcast just recently, and he's written an amazing book called Soma Wise. He came on and spoke to my groups, my grads group and the current challenge group the other day and he took everyone through some processes of sitting in their body and just finding stillness and sitting with what shows up and just being with, not trying to change, not trying to get rid of. And he said this great thing that he said, every time a big emotion comes up or a big craving comes up, say to yourself this, I trust my body is processing something right now in this moment, rather than trying to get rid of it. But that's really an embrace, isn't it? Of just like, okay, I trust this process. And I can trust in my own body that this is what's needing to happen. It's needing to be felt. It gives me goosebumps because it does me too. Like my heart just goosebumps everywhere. Yeah. 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 Me too. It was such a beautiful message. It was a beautiful session. And people out there teaching people this stuff, it's amazing. You sharing this, it's life changing for some people. So yeah. tell me a bit about how you got sober. So tell me, okay, right before you decided to change. And how you changed? So I'll tell the story. Obviously, at the time, my partner found out everything and he respectfully asked me to leave the house and to just say he was so respectful throughout the whole everything that happened. And I packed my bag and I booked myself into an Airbnb. And then I went and sat at this restaurant and I was drinking like $15 glasses of wine. Like that's the solution, right? And just crying. Anyway, I walk into this Airbnb and I put my bags down and I say, I'm going to go buy a bottle of wine. And they said, sorry, this is a sober household. We don't drink here. And I was like, fuck, okay, what do I do? So anyway, I just unpacked my bag, went to sleep. And that was a Sunday. The Monday I had to go to work. And I'm in my busy corporate job in the city of Sydney, go in. The first thing I say to my manager is like, something big has happened. I can't tell you what's happened, but if I I need support. And anyway, so a couple of days later, it was my birthday, my 32nd birthday. And my partner at the time and I, we had taken the day off because we're going to go to this restaurant and blah, blah, blah. The night before, so I knew I had the day off. I caught the ferry from Barangaroo to Manly and I was drinking wine And then I decided to buy a bottle of wine and sneak it into the Airbnb, did that, blacked out, made some phone calls that I have no recollection of. And the people that I called didn't want to speak to me. So I knew that I had said something very bad or gone really deep or whatever happened. The next day was my birthday and I was spending it all alone. I'd been thrown out of the house. No one knew except for my family. And they were so supportive. I had to tell them everything. 
And uh, yeah, I, wow, it was so intense. Like I went to my old apartment. I still had the keys and I just lay on the couch and I watched TV and I started freaking out completely. Like I was basically having a panic attack. And then all of a sudden I had to Google, I just Googled AA and I was like, I have to go to a meeting because my stepfather was in the program. My dad and a few other family members had all been through the program and I just knew that I had to do it. So I Googled a meeting and I went that night. I didn't tell anyone. I just went and I got asked to share. It was an ID meeting and I got up and I sat down and I was an absolute mess. Like I was really unhealthy to me. I was quite overweight, overweight, um, completely red in the face. I'd been crying for three days straight. And, it, but it was the first time that I told a group of people the truth of the life that I'd been living and how badly I had been affected by my lifestyle. And it was this huge relief. Mm, there's <laughs> that word again, relief. Yes. So yes, the 12 steps uh, program has been a very big part of my recovery of me getting sober. About two weeks after that experience, I, I got my permanent residency and I had another big emotional breakdown and I decided that night that I was going to drink again. And And how long had you been sober at this point? Two weeks. Two weeks. Two weeks. And then I went to this restaurant in Manly. I ordered myself a glass of wine and a and a beautiful meal. I drank half of that glass of wine. I put it down. And I was like, I can't do this anymore. There were two very clear parts. It was, I'm 32. I can continue with the drinking, blacking out. I don't know where my life would lead. And I think I might die. Or I can get sober. So I paid my bill. I left that glass of wine there and I went home. I bought a block of Aero green chocolate <laughs> and I watched I watched a horror movie and that was my last drink. Yay, well done. <laughs> oh, God, I'm tearing up here. It's like, oh, my God. Yeah. Wow. wow. Isn't that beautiful? You get to that you saw it, you know, you've sort of played the tape forward and you're at this crossroads. I can go this way or I can go that way. And it's clear with how they both end. You know, it's clear if I go this way, this is not good. And yeah. if I, I can choose this way and go into the unknown, but let's see how it feels. Wow. Wow. Yeah. I'm very grateful that I had family members that had been in 12-step programs because I, I kind of knew that, okay, that would help me. I didn't understand why I needed to stop drinking. I didn't understand uh, to our point before that, because I think I blamed my behavior on alcohol and I didn't understand that there was so much underneath it. And the 12 steps have helped me unpack that. But alongside that, right, it's, it's community. It was, I had to learn to ask for help. I had to learn to be of service to others, selfless service of doing something for somebody else for no reason. Um, how does your doing something for someone else, how does that look? Give me an example of how you are of service day to day. Day to day. So I still, I go to meetings, but I don't go as often as I used to. And the reason I go is to show young women that there is a life outside of alcohol. I am pretty open about being sober. So if I know that someone's ever struggling, I reach out to them In the beginning, I used to post a lot that I was sober and I thought everyone had to do the 12 steps. You know, I was like, yes, yes, this is amazing. But I'll occasionally post on social media that I am sober and if anyone needs support that I'm here. Calling people that are going through rough times, checking in to see how they're going. And like, for example, a few weeks ago, someone needed help in their garden and I just put my hand up for those things. I'm definitely not perfect at it and it doesn't come naturally to me. My addiction... It's obsession. It becomes obsession of myself. And I can think too much about myself. But when I offer to be of service to someone else, just even a check-in, hey, how's it going? I know you've been having a rough time or know that you are loved or something along those lines. And I've also devoted my life to teaching yoga. And I love that. Yeah, I think it's that getting off myself and just doing things for other people but it really doesn't come easy to me, I must say. It's a practice. Yeah, yeah. I think it's beautiful, though, to reach out 
that's one of the most powerful things that we can do. I know myself, if I'm having a bit of a, a time of it and I just get a message from someone saying, hey, I know that things are tough for you, you know, or there's been stuff going on. How are you doing? Or, or someone might, I got one the other day, just like, you look so busy. You okay? How are you handling everything? And it was just nice to receive that. It's beautiful. Mm-hmm. It's a beautiful thing that people can do is just to reach out and ask someone else how they're doing. I think it's... Yes a beautiful thing to do. So yeah, well, that's great. Amazing. Tell me, were you doing yoga before sobriety? Yes, I actually started doing yoga. So my journey with yoga started in 2011 in London. And I think because I always experienced so much anxiety, like that gave me relief as well. So that first hour on the mat, I was like, holy shit, I don't feel anxious. And then I immediately signed up for a yoga teacher training, but I was a total active addiction. Like I was trying my best. I started to get all the physical benefits of yoga. Like I was looking really healthy. My energy was moving, but then I moved to Australia and then I did my first teacher training in 2017. So the year before I got sober, but, and I I started to realize that there was something out there. I I guess I've always been a seeker. Like I'm always seeking for something to fix me. (laughs) And yoga was one of those things. So I I finished my first teacher training in 2017. We went on a retreat for five days with obviously no alcohol or or meat or whatever, like a pure Ayurvedic diet. And then as soon as I got home, like I downed a bottle of red wine and I was like, oh, well, I deserve it. Done five days of no alcohol. I think we talked about it before, like when I got sober and I would go to a yoga class, my experience was totally different. Like I was having these crazy visuals and I could I was just feeling so much. But ever since I started yoga in 2011, it's been a consistent thing within my life. When I was drinking, like I would try really hard to meditate. So I'd do like yoga on a Monday and Tuesday, and then I would drink Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So then that kind of would go out the door. So I was trying really hard to find these solutions without realizing that that was what I was doing. It's interesting, isn't it, how we go for these solutions? And really the solution is just take the alcohol out. I know, I know. Take out the thing that's causing the problems. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It, it takes a while. I think that we think oh, if I do enough yoga, can I yoga this away? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Or if or, I do a detox. Or I remember in London mm-hmm. I did one month of no alcohol. So in my 18 years of drinking, I did one month of no alcohol. But all I did was sit in front of the TV for that whole month eating chocolate because I was like, fuck, I don't know how to do life. But I lost four kilograms and I'd say all this money. I bought myself a leather jacket that I still have today. I was so proud of myself. But yeah, that was my my (laughs) detox for a month. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) That's so funny. How did you start to find relief? Was it just yoga? So I'm getting a clear like I said, the word relief has come up quite a few times. How were you finding relief or was it just such a relief that you didn't have this monkey on your back anymore? Like how did you cope with not having that that Band-Aid in your life? Um, look, I think because I was, I had quit drinking obviously, but I was also going through that breakup of 10 years and having to sit with my behaviour. The relief at the time was going to 12-step meetings, meeting people that were sober and creating relationships within that space telling the truth was a relief me as well so telling my friends what had happened where I am in my life at this time being honest (laughs) exercise I did a lot of walking in the first six months of being sober because I moved to DY and I would often walk from DY to Manly which was 10k's there and back but it was along this beautiful cliff And it was wild because like the first few months of being sober, it was like, I was like a kid in a candy store. Like everything was bright. Everything was alive. It was like I could see again. And I remember standing on this cliff. I saw someone and it felt like I was high. I was like, I can't believe what I'm seeing. Like, is this life? Is this everything that I've missed? Crying gave me a lot of relief. Sitting Mm. with those emotions and just crying and letting it out like I cried every day for six months there was not a day that went by that I didn't cry and Fridays were the worst for me because I worked in recruitment everyone would go for work drinks I tried to participate but I felt so awkward so alone 
I would sit on the bus and just cry all the way home. I did eat a lot of sugar in the beginning. Um, That was my little crux. I remember just standing in LD, like reading all the sugar contents and all the chocolates and trying to find the least sugar and you know, but it was really just the opportunity to sit with my emotions and tell the truth. But work also saved me at that time because a lot of people were saying, maybe you should take some time off work. And I didn't. And I was working full time at the time. And it was just an opportunity for me to go and do some stuff and not have to think about what's happened. But I went over to Europe seven months sober. A friend of mine was getting married and My partner and I at the time RSVP'd and said, yes, we would go. So I went over to Europe at seven months sober. It didn't go well for me because when I came back from that trip, I had a complete breakdown and that's when I started to seek therapy as well. And I did actually go on anti-anxiety medication and I did that for a year and it was really helpful for me because I don't think I realized that I was struggling with anxiety until I didn't have anxiety until I could feel what it felt like to be anxiety free, even though it was with pharmaceuticals. So it was a great experience to have that relief from medication, but I still did all of the work. I still heavily did 12 steps. I still did therapy. I still did lots of exercise, healthy eating. And then I realized that although it took away anxiety, the medication also took away other emotions. And I I want to feel, I want to have the full human experience, even if it is really painful. So I went off that about two and a half years ago, almost three years ago. Wow. Yeah. Well done. Yeah, yeah. amazing. How is life? I mean, one of the greatest things for me was not waking up after a blackout, I literally, I couldn't stand it anymore. That feeling of what have I done? What, you know, who did I call? Who did I upset? I just couldn't stand it anymore. So for me, that was enough of a driver to keep me going. Every time I felt like a drink, I would just say this all the time, play the tape forward, but really think about alcohol is just such instant gratification. So I want relief. I could go for the drink and have this instant gratification Or how do I want to feel in six hours time or tomorrow morning when I wake up? I know what that drink's going to make me feel because I know that it's not going to be one. It's going to be a bottle. I'm going to black out and I'm going to feel that same fucking way that I felt these last few freaking decades doesn't change. So keeping that at the forefront of my mind and then waking up in the mornings and going, wow, wow, wow. Oh my God, I don't have that feeling. Yes. It was so important to me just to have that, to not have the feeling and not have the anxiety in my body. Mm. How did it feel for you to not wake up after the blackouts and not having that kind of anxiety and the shame and everything? Oh, it's, I still relish in it today. Waking up in the morning, knowing that I've been in as much integrity as I can. I I really want to say like, I'm still very much on the learning journey and I'm so not perfect at all, but The relief of waking up and knowing that I knew what I said last night. I knew where I went last Mm. night. I know how I got Mm. home. I know how much money I've spent. I know how I've treated my friends, whether it's been good or bad. I know whether I owe an apology or not. It Mm. is life-changing. Like what stopped me from drinking, and you said it earlier, there were so many times where I wanted to drink. I wanted to throw it all away and just have that instant relief. But it's the mm. next day, the mm. feeling of how having a hangover. I mean, sometimes I feel dehydrated and I'll wake up with a bad headache now. And it's horrible. Like, I don't know how I used to go to work. I don't know how I used to do anything in that state. And again, playing the tape forward, how am I going to feel the next day? It's how I've pretty much stayed sober for four four and a bit years. It's like, I don't want to ever feel that guilt and shame again. It's so powerful. I did a post the other day that just said, don't underestimate the power of waking up without regrets and shame and disappointment. It's it's like you say, it's life-changing. It was, Mm. and that's still to this day stops me going back. Mm. I never want to feel that again. I don't deserve to feel that. 
And it's no. alcohol that makes me feel that. I never feel that without alcohol, ever. No, no, I don't. Even if I had a bad night or even if I've had an argument with someone the night before being sober, it's just a completely different experience. Uh, just knowing, I guess, if you've ever experienced a blackout, just the simple fact of knowing that I know how I got home and know what I did last night and I don't have to be ashamed for my behavior. <laughs> It's just gold. It's absolutely gold. And someone said to me the other day, surely you can just have one drink by now. Surely you've done enough work on yourself. I'm like, well, maybe, maybe not, but I actually don't want it. There's nothing in me that wants it. No fucking way you could pay me. I feel exactly the same. Like I've had that conversation with people too. And it's like, yeah, but surely you could enjoy a glass of wine with your meal. And I'm like, I don't want to. I like the way I feel now. Like I, the way Mm. I feel now is... the way I used to feel after two glasses of wine that confidence that that self-worth the ability to talk to people in social situations and just to be okay being me it's like I've reached that point but it took a while for me to reach this point because I had a lot to unravel yeah it takes a while and like you say we're still learning like we're all still learning we're still healing we're still working on our stuff even the most uncomfortable emotions that show up for me, they're no match for that feeling of anxiety and shame and regret that is just there. Like, like you say, it's like this sort of wet blanket that comes over you. Oh, just no way. So it's really good for people listening just to remember that if you're on this path, thinking about that instant gratification, and if you can kind of take a moment and just think, I don't, like we're not cavemen anymore. We don't have to act on our impulses. If we want something right now, we don't have to have it right now, but we can kind of, with a bit of space and a bit of consciousness, I think you have to bring in some, have to be consciously aware a little bit more on this journey and active in your own recovery, like what you were saying, that you're very active in it. But just knowing that if I do things differently, I'm going to get a different outcome, right? If I do things the same, I'm going to get the same outcome. Mm. that I've always got. But if I do it differently, I'm going to have a different outcome. And that new outcome could be feeling really good when I wake up. Mm. So if we think about the delayed desires, I don't think about the instant gratification or that instant desire for what we want, but more so the delayed desire of what we want. And that's when the process of change starts to happen when we start to go for not the instant, but what we want down the track. So it's not even sometimes what I want when I wake up tomorrow. It's what I want in a month's time. It's what I want in a year's time. You know, can really play the tape forward that way. Yeah. I've actually on my mirror got what would my future self want? (laughs) Yes. 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 I love that because it's like, for me, the biggest thing that I'm working on at the moment is emotional eating. So I noticed Mm. that, you know, like, ah, I work from home as well. So I'm eating a fair bit. And what would my future self want? Like, yes, I can eat that Mm. chocolate or I can eat that piece of toast and get that great feeling now. Maybe that's what I need, actually. That's fine too. But what would my future self want? You know, how do I want to feel Mm. tomorrow? How do I want to feel in a month and a year, like you were saying? And it's so... It's so life-changing when you can start to consciously play that tape forward about how do I want to live my life? What do I actually want? And how do I want to move through the life, through this life? And I just really want to move through life with grace and ease and peace in my mm. heart. Like that's, mm. that's my ultimate goal is just mm. to feel peaceful. That's what we all deserve, I guess, isn't it? That peace yeah. and that kind of thing where we're just acting on impulse. That's the addiction or that's the big emotions ruling our life. But when we can kind of have that conscious awareness, again, there's that word, but then we're creating our life. We're the creators of our life, not the addiction running our life. Yeah. That just that consciousness is so important. I've been having the same thing lately of just trying to pull back a bit on what I eat because I'm an emotional eater as well. I fucking love carbs, oily carbs with salt and lemon, just the garlic. Oh. That's me. <laughs> that's my happy place which is fine and I'm still having those things but I don't have yeah. to eat two bowls of the fucking thing yeah and noticing I've really started to become more and more aware and that's through I guess yoga meditation yoga nidra becoming more aware of my own body and my own impulses and I know if I have any maybe a, a conversation with someone that's a bit upsetting or something happens that upsets me I start to crave pasta yeah. <laughs> It's just like, or sourdough with peanut butter and butter. 
Oh, I'm there. My my favorite is toast with butter on it. Give that to me, please. You know, yeah, yeah, especially like the Belgian butter and the, or the French butter. Mm. But <laughs> but just being aware. So okay, I'm I'm aware that I can put the two dots together now. And can I, I can perhaps still have a bit of pasta if I want, but am I, why am I having it? Am I having it because of this old habit? And what do I really need? What could my body have instead than going for this, you know, two big bowls of pasta? Maybe I could get a child's pose for a little bit and calm myself a little bit that way first. And, And then when I am eating dinner at night, I'm just being more mindful, more slow, more aware, really thinking about what I'm eating. And just from doing that, I think I've probably lost about six kilos recently yeah and I feel good I feel good I'm still eating everything I want I'm not actually cutting anything out but I'm just not doing as much and I'm just being more mindful so anyway everything's an opportunity for mindfulness and everything's an opportunity to tune into ourselves and connect more and learn more about ourselves and that's so awesome it's Mm. so exciting it is exciting and you know what like what I do as well what's become really key to my life is dancing so moving mm. that around my body I go to a lot of ecstatic mm-hmm. dance I absolutely I love, it. love it and like just being in a, an environment where everyone is sober and that's the vibe and just being totally crazy it just connects me to myself and I've also started playing yes. the djembe drum as well the bongo drums and awesome oh the vibration of the drum it just shifts everything within me but yeah look it's four four and a bit years and I still feel like I'm very much at the beginning of all of this and some days are incredible and other days are really fucking hard and Mm. but I I really I wouldn't change it for a thing like like you were saying earlier the pain that I go through in sobriety is nothing compared to 18 years of guilt and shame every single fucking day like Mm. just Mm -hmm doesn't compare absolutely absolutely well good on you it's just such a life-changing thing to do and you're obviously embracing it and learning so much about yourself and I'm I'm so happy for you that's so great and so tell me if you could go back and speak to your 14 year old self what would you say to her what would you offer her I would offer her the opportunity to learn self-love and self-esteem just knowing like if I could just whisper into her ear and be like you are so amazing you are powerful you are worthy I wonder again I don't ever want to change my life because it's made me who I am but I just wonder if I have a daughter or I have a young niece just building up their self-esteem and being like you're amazing like Mm. I'll say to my niece you're getting older now you can talk to me about anything I don't know if I'm making any sense but it's just like that self-worth like putting self-worth into someone and and getting my younger self to know that you are worthy of love you are worthy of all the things that you desire and there's nothing wrong with you Mm. like you are not broken you are perfect as you are. And also if I could give my younger self the tools of yoga and meditation, I mean, gosh, that would be incredible too. <laughs> Such beautiful words that made me all teary. So just like, oh, yeah, it's just if only we could have gone back and, and spoken to ourselves. But we've got the opportunity to remind ourselves every day that we're worthy and we're loved and we're lovable and that we are enough and that we're welcome here. That's been a big one for me lately coming up just you deserve to be here just as much as anyone else. It's important. It's important to keep reminding ourselves of that. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Trish. You're amazing. And um, I hope to bump into you for a bowl of dal at the Om Cafe and a dip in the Karumban Rock Pools again. Yeah, that would be amazing. Thank you so much. This was just such an incredible experience and, yeah, a life goal for me. So, yeah, ultimately, I just hope someone listens to this and even if it's one person and they hear what we talk about and can make an impact, that's that would be incredible. Amazing, amazing. Thank you so much, Trish. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story. Thank you. Bye. Bye.
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you.